If you open your Bibles to Mark in the fifth chapter, the book of Mark, the fifth chapter. Right after Matthew and before Luke, Mark chapter 5. Has everybody been enjoying the podcasts? I don't ever listen to them, so I don't know if they've been. I, I get a report every week, and it seems like a ton of people are downloading them and listening to them. I don't listen to them. I can't stand the way my voice sounds. I don't know how you guys sit in here on Sunday morning, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> Mark chapter 5 and verse 6. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. How do you come to Christ? How do you come to Christ in your life? Here is a demonically possessed man that was not in control of his own life. And as Christ stepped onto the, onto the land where he was at from out of the boat, the demonically possessed man that was controlled by demons at his time, he didn't have control of his own self at the time, ran, fell at Christ's feet, and began to worship him. Oh, church, how much more does Christ want us to come and fall at his feet and worship him if the very demons that possessed this man came running to Christ, fell at his feet, and began to worship him? How much more should the church today be running to Christ? Christ wants his people to run to him. He doesn't want to have to sit there and go after the believer, to go after the church. In his scripture, he says, draw nigh unto me, and I will draw nigh unto you. But church, we must first draw nigh unto him. Now, before you're saved, yes, the Holy Spirit convicts you to come to the cross. But once you are at the cross, once you've received salvation in your life, now you must come to the Savior. Now he's sitting at the right-hand side of the Father. His Holy Spirit dwells within you, and he wants you to come running to him. If the world as it was in this demonically possessed man would come running and kneel down at the feet of Christ, how much more should we, his heirs, his children, be coming and kneeling down at his feet? That's all he wants from the church today. He wants us to worship him. He wants us to love him. He wants us to serve him. But the church somewhere along the line has stopped running. We've stopped going to Christ. We've sat back and we expect him to come to us. That's not how it's supposed to be. We're not the demonically possessed. We're the sons of God. We're the children of the Lord. We're the blood-bought church of the redeemed. We should be wanting to go after our Savior. We should be trying at all of our might to get to the feet of the cross, to get to the feet of Christ, to kneel at Him and to worship Him. But the church today doesn't do it because it's not politically correct. It doesn't fit into our time stamp. It doesn't fit into our schedule. We don't have time to go running and kneeling at the foot of Christ anymore. The Bible tells us that if we won't come and fall at his feet and worship him, then the rocks will cry out. And I believe there are places in this world that rocks are crying out to worship him. But church, I'm here to tell you today, I do not believe that Rensselaer, Indiana should be one of those places. Amen. One man came running, a demonically possessed man came running, and he bowed down at the feet of Christ and he worshipped him. If you turn with me to Mark, the first chapter... We find a second man that comes to Christ. The first one came running. And in verse 40 it reads, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. 
And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. The second man came to Jesus kneeling with a problem, filth, corruption, a cancer in the world, leprosy was in his life. And Christ reached down with his hand and touched him, and immediately the leprosy was gone. That's how you and I were when we came to the cross. We came to Christ with a sin in our life, was a sin unto death, a sin unto the destruction. We did not have eternal life in our life, and we came kneeling down at the foot of the cross to Jesus Christ. So first we had the demonically possessed running and kneeling, and now we have one that's not clean as well, coming and kneeling at the cross of Christ, the same way you and I did when you came unto him to salvation, and Christ reached down with his hand and touched the leper and made him whole, the same way he touched our hearts and made us whole, but the change has got to take Take place. Instantly a change took place in the leper's life and he went in and began to tell those in the city that the change had taken place. But he was wrong in doing so because Christ instructs him in the next verse to not go and say anything to anybody. But did he lose his cleansing because of it? Did he lose the cleansing that took place because he went against what Christ said? No. Why? Because Christ had compassion on him and he loved him. Church, you and I came to Christ. We knelt down at his feet. We came to him kneeling the same way this man with the filth and the apostasy of the world that had corrupted our life, the sin nature that we were born into. It was all filled up inside of us. And Christ reached down and he touched our heart and he made us whole. But instead of like the leper, he has told us to go tell the world the change that has happened in our life, not just through our voice, but through our actions as well, church. Are you spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, the change that took place in your life to the world? Immediately the leper was cleansed. Church, there are those in the, in the church today, and I'm speaking universally, that when Christ touches their life, he cleanses them of their sins, he makes them whole, that they go right back to doing what they're doing because the world has told them there's a whole lot more to it than just saying a simple prayer. When you came to Christ with everything that was in your life and you laid it down at his feet and he touched you and he cleansed you, you were made whole. You do not have to hold on to that that was in your past, that which has corrupted your life. The addictions of this world, you can put them aside because now greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But the world today has told us, no, you got to go through this seminar and you got to go through that seminar. If you go eight weeks here and then we come in, we anoint you with oil, you're going to be all right. It doesn't work that way. When God removes it, he removes it. You just got to quit picking it back up. But we hold on to our sin. We hold on to the things of our past. We hold on to generational curses like they're a trophy or a medal that we wear around our neck and we use them for the, for the excuse of the way we're living our life. And that's not what Christ intended. That's not how God planned the plan of salvation. When he came in, he wiped it away. Let it go, let it fade into the back and become the new creature that you are in Christ Jesus. It's so much easier to turn back in our hour of need and our time of frustration and fall back to those things that comforted us when we're in our hour of need. It is so much easier to go back because to go and kneel down at the foot of Christ is going to require some action on our part. It's going to require us exercising our faith. It's going to require humility. It's going to require humbleness. As I said, it's going to require faith. It's going to require obedience. It's going to require sacrifice. But, oh, church, to those, to those that humble themselves and willingly are obedient unto the cross and sacrifice that which Christ has told them to lay down at his feet, those are the ones that are going to receive victory. Those are the ones that are going to receive the deliverance. Those are going to be the ones that are going to go up and they're going to remove mountains for Christ Jesus. Why? Because they have 
accepted the perfect will of God in their life, and that's where they're going. But to the individual that keeps turning back, it's always going to be sorrow. It's always going to be despair. It's always going to be corruption. Those that go back are returning back to the things of the world that Christ has removed from their life. And he's saying, leave it back there. Quit going after it. Why do you keep turning around and going back after that which I've delivered you from? You came to my cross. You kneeled down at my feet. And I eradicated it from your life. But you keep going back and dragging it up. Why? Because that's the easier path. It's always easy going back than it is going forward. Because going forward in your walk with Christ, you're blazing a trail as a pioneer. You're cutting through thick grass. You're cutting through the weed that you've planted there. And it's always going to be easier to go back through what you've already come through. But that's not what God intended for us. He didn't intend to you to plow the road yourself. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there come one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? The first man came running... The second man came kneeling, and now the third man comes running and kneeling, and that man was the rich young ruler. Christ said, give all these things. He said, obey the commandments. Christ gave a list of things, and he said, I've done all these things, God. What else must I do to have eternal life? And he said, give all that you have to feed the poor and follow me. And there the man got up depressed, upset, and sad and walked away because he couldn't give up that thing in the world that he had. Now for the rich young ruler, of course, it was the riches that he had in this world. But for every individual in here, you've got something in your life or you had something in your life that you did not want to give up and follow Christ for that eternal life. There comes a time where obedience is always going to be better than sacrifice, but that doesn't mean sacrifice doesn't exist. See, everybody says, well, obedience is better than sacrifice, so I'm just going to be obedient. And we throw sacrifice right out the window. Sacrifice means giving up of that thing that has rooted itself in your life so that you cannot go forward in the kingdom of God. Sacrifice is that thing you've got to give up that controls your life. Anything that you have an addiction to, anything you can't put down, anything you think you're going to miss to that extent, if you have to give it up, is controlling your life. And if it's controlling your life, then guess who's not controlling your life? God, that's who's not controlling your life. And to be in God's perfect will, he's got to have control of your life. So this man came running and kneeling, and he could not give up his worldly possessions. He could not give it up. What is it in the church today? What is it that you're thinking of right now? Or what is it that you thought of that you gave up, that you did not want to get up, give up? You, didn't, you couldn't let go of it. It meant so much to you. Maybe it was your pornography. Maybe it was an addiction. Maybe it was alcohol. Maybe it was cigarettes. Something simple as that. Maybe, maybe it was your smartphone. Maybe it was your internet. You're like, God, I can't give it up. I can't put my phone down for five minutes. That seems to be a thing in the world today. I've got to be texting. I've got to be online. I've got to have a bottle in my hand and God saying, give up that thing and you can have eternal life. Well, there's a new wine that I have provided for you to drink. There is something else that you can look at instead of filth on TV and filth on the internet and that's the cross of Calvary. Church, we've got to put down the sinful things in our life. Cut them loose. Cut them out and go forth. But if we can't do that, we too are the rich young ruler in our own society that won't give up the things of the world and accept Christ in eternal life. 
For he says in his word that there will be many that will say, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy? Did I not do this? Did I not do that? And he says, depart from me, for I knew you not. For you couldn't put down the accursed thing in your life. That simple thing. You couldn't put your phone down for five minutes. You couldn't put a cigarette away for an hour. You couldn't take your eyes and your mind off the apostasy of this world. Oh, give it up, I say. Give up those things. Come forth. The adultery that's in your life. Everything that you've done that you feel you can't let go. Let it go this hour and I shall give thee rest. But we can't do that. Oh, pastor, it can't be that simple, can it? If it was that simple, everybody would be doing it. It is that simple and guess what? Everybody's not doing it. Why is everybody not doing it? Oh, because there's a deceiver out there. There's a serpent that was in the garden that brought this sin into the world. And guess what? He's still roaming to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. And the church is full of those that he wants to devour. And oh, if we were on watch, oh, if we were the watchmen, the pastors, the lay people, the members of the church, if we were on watch, roaming about to or fro as well with the power of the Holy Ghost in us, we could see it for what it is and we could cast it out of our lives. Mark chapter 5 and verse 27. And when she had heard Mark 5, 27. I'll tell you a second. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Here we find one that came to touch the hem of his garment. She didn't sit back. She didn't wait. She didn't come running. She didn't come kneeling. She didn't come running and kneeling. She came with a purpose in her mind, and that was to touch the garment, but not just the garment. She didn't intend as she went to just touch the garment. As she sat in her home, and she heard the swell of the crowd, and she heard the rumors that Christ was walking down the road, and she got up, a woman with the issue of blood, the woman that could not be healed. Her entire life she'd been dealing with it. She didn't get up and walk out of her house with the intent of just touching the heart the garment of Christ. She got up out of her house and went with the intention of touching the person, Jesus Christ. But it was the world. It was the church. It was the leaders of Christ. They stood around him as his personal bodyguards and buffed those away. But she would not be stopped. She could not be deterred. Nothing in hell itself was going to keep her from at least touching the hem of the garment of Christ. And you've heard me preach it before. She had to get down on her ground. She was probably kicked in the face. She probably ate the dust and the flesh of the earth as she got to the hem of his garment. But she got there and she grabbed that garment and she received that which she was looking for church. Church, we run and we kneel, but are we touching the hem of his garment? Are we receiving that which he has for us? Are we stopping when the world tells us no? When we get kicked and we get put down a little bit, are we stopping or are we pressing in? Are we pressing in until we touch the heart of the person Jesus? Faith, church, requires action. She could have sat in her house all day long with the faith that could have moved mountains. But if she never would have got up, never would have walked out, and never would have pressed in until she touched the garment, she never would have been made whole. She had to get to the person Jesus. And immediately, what does he say to her? Did he say, hey man, that was a pretty good battle I saw you do there. 
because I saw everything you went through, I'm going to give it to you. No, what does he say to her? Thy faith has made you whole. Thy faith has made you whole. Where is our faith today, church? Does our faith keep us from kneeling? Does our faith keep us from running? Does our faith keep us from touching? Oh, the touch of the master's hand is a powerful thing as he reached down and he touches our hearts and he touches our minds. But oh, church, how much greater is the believer that is so close to Christ that he doesn't have to reach down and touch us because we've already reached up and touched him. We've touched his heart with our desire. We've touched his heart with our faith. We've touched his heart with our expectancy. We've touched his heart with our purpose. We've touched his heart with our obedience. We're that close that we've touched the heart of the master. And when you get that close, church, that you touch the heart of the master, he doesn't have to reach down and touch you because all that he has in his word, all the promises, everything that you stand on on a daily basis that your faith has built you up upon will come to pass in your life. Kneeling, running, and touching church, all three are what? All three are verbs. All three are verbs. Running, kneeling, and touching. What is a verb? It's an action word. A verb is an action word. I'm not an English major. I was never good at English. I'm going to tell you right now, I paid my sister several times to do my papers in high school. They should put her name on, the, on part of the diploma. But what I can tell you is this. I know what a verb is. A verb running, kneeling, and touching requires action. Not action on Jesus' part. Action on our part. Action on the part of the, of the believer. It requires action. None of those stories do you find a person sleeping, sitting, texting, standing against a wall, and receiving. You don't see it. And the man that was demonically possessed in the tomb sat down and leaned up against the tomb and Christ came to him and touched him. It doesn't say that, does it? No. He came out. He came out from that which was unclean. He came out from the, from the cemetery. The demons themselves came out and knelt at his feet and worshipped him. Oh, as it says in Philippians, in that day, by the power of the name of Jesus, every tongue shall, every, tongue, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Church, we've got an opportunity today. You can come running, you can come kneeling, and you can touch the heart of Jesus, or you can throw it all out the window and live your life the way you want to, but guaranteed this, know this today, that the day is coming, whether you're with Christ or you're not with Christ, that you're going to bow, and you're going to confess him as Lord and Savior. The only difference is where you're going to go after that. For every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Oh Lord, I don't want to sit back and wait. I want to run. I want to kneel and I want to touch your face this day so that I'm not forced to do it as I stand before the great white throne judgment. I don't want to be that individual that you say, depart from me. I knew you not. Why is he saying that? Because he knew you not because you weren't at his feet. You hadn't touched his heart. You didn't have the faith. You didn't have the power within you. He's saying, I'm giving you the power. Reach up. Look up to the hills from whence cometh your help because what you're going to see is my face. You're going to see my mercy. You're going to see my grace. You're going to see all that encompasses the kingdom of God. And when you get to that place, church, you're not going to be moved away. Amen. Satan can lie to you all he wants, but when you've experienced the power and you've experienced the presence of God, you want to stay there and you want to get back there. 
As I said a second ago, nobody's sleeping, nobody's sitting, received from Christ. Even blind Bartimaeus himself had been blind since birth, stood by the roadside, stood up. Not only did he stand up, he stood up in faith and took his coat and tossed it away. A man that had been blind since birth took his coat, tossed it away, and began to cry out for Christ. Why did he toss his coat away? He's a blind man. He wouldn't know where it would fall amongst the crowd because he knew. He knew if he could get the Savior's attention, he'd be able to look for that coat himself because his eyes would be open, church. Christ is calling out to the church today. He's saying, be like blind Bartimaeus. Call out my name. I will not refuse those that call out my name. I shall give you sight. You're going to see things like you've never seen them. Through the power and the superintendency of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to open up the word of God like you've never seen it before. But you've got to let go of the things of this world that control your life. The same way the rich young ruler couldn't. You've got to quit going back to the past in your life and dragging that up and enabling Satan a stronghold in your life. Every time I need something, Brother Cowan, I pray out to God and I don't get it, so I end up going back to where I'm at. What, where in the Bible does it say you need to instantly receive as well? The Shudamite woman came to Elijah and said that her son was dead. He sent his servant. He said, go put the staff on his face, on the child's face, and I'll be there in a little bit. He went and put the staffs on the, on the child's face, and the servant come back. He said, hey, man, he's still dead, buddy. I don't know what you're going to do now, but it didn't work. So then Elijah comes in himself, Elisha comes in himself, and he stretches himself across the body of the child, and he did not come to life then either. He goes back downstairs, he begins praying, he goes up the third time, and on the third time the child rises. The prophet Elisha, one of the mightiest prophets in the Bible, it didn't happen instantly for him, did it? It didn't happen instantly. Oh, what a, oh what, a, what a testimony. What a witness to our lives. Just because we pray it doesn't mean it's going to happen instantly. But God's looking for the fervent, effectual prayer of the righteous man that will come and sit at his feet and bombard the throne of heaven just like the woman did with the unjust judge. Not turning back. Not getting discouraged and leaving as the 500 that were in the upper room. But staying, pr- staying and praying and bombarding the throne of grace with the prayers and saying, God, I'm not leaving until I get it. But we give up on our prayers so quickly. We give up on them. And God's sitting here, he's saying, man, one more time. Just come in one more time and you got it. Naaman the leper had to dip himself seven times in the water before he got his healing. It wasn't instantaneous. Yes, there's times when it's instant. And we would all love that instant healing. We'd all love that instant deliverance. But there are times when you have to be obedient and sacrifice for the kingdom of God. Praise God. Every individual in this room today, Christ wants sitting at his feet. He's got something for you. He's got something for every person in here. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're two years old. I don't care if you're 102 years old. Christ has a place at his feet for you. He just wants you to come. Draw nigh unto me, and I will draw nigh unto you. You've got to take the first step. That first step is the step of faith. That first step is the step of obedience. And that first step's going to require you to leave something that you got up and left. And that's your sacrifice. That's your sacrifice. Your step of faith, your step of obedience, and your step of sacrifice. Begin to think right now, what is it in my life that I'm sitting down next to on a daily basis that God wants me to give up so he can bless me even more so than I'm already blessed? 
What is it that I'm sitting down next to on a daily basis in my mind or in my life that I refuse to get up and leave there? I continue to enable it and go back to it on a daily basis. And because of that, I'm not getting what God's got for me. God's got a perfect will and he's got something for every individual in here. But we tie his hands and keep it from taking place in our lives. What is it? What is it that's keeping you from the desire of your heart? What is it that's keeping you from the fulfillment of the kingdom of God in your life? What is it that's keeping you from being that witness unto your loved ones that you want to see come to the cross? You want to see, yes to Je- want to see them say yes to Jesus who said yes to the cross? What are you holding on to and not letting go? Praise God. Sisters, Crystal, if you come.